Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. And good morning, Mercy. How are you doing? It's Sunday morning, and I am so glad to have this privilege to bring the word of the Lord to you this morning, to us this morning. Pastor Spence cannot uh, pronounce my name, but when, when, when we're together, when it's not in front of a camera, he says it perfectly, but when you turn on the light, he, he just forgets everything, but it's good to see him try, and this is what we're going to do. Uh, for everyone at home, you're like, what is this name, Warohio, where did they come from? Let me tell you, we're going to just practice. One, one second, okay? This is how you say it. Wa row heel. The row is like you're rowing your boat. Okay, rowing your boat. Kids, you can help your parents. Row your boat, mama. So it's wa row heel. There you go. Perfect. Good job. Fantastic. As Pastor Spence said, I'm the student director here at Mercy. And if you have students that are not plugged in, I would really want to have that conversation with you so we can get your students and we can partner with you to disciple the next generation of the disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay? Today... We are going back to the book of Acts. This is one of my favorite books, I have to tell you. We will continue with the series, You Are Sent. And throughout this series, what we have seen is the word of God and the power of God moving the people of God to take the gospel to the ends of the world. The reason we're doing this series is we want to be the kind of church that sends the gospel to all nations. We want to mobilize every believer, every member of the church to play their role in the great commissioning, in the fulfillment of the great commission. This is why at the end of every service, you hear one of us say, you are sent. Because we are a sent out people. The gospel message compels us to share it, okay? So that's, that's, in, that's, that's about the series. Now, before I begin the sermon today, I want to share with you a short story, a quick story. I remember when uh, I was dating my wife, uh, she had this little iPod. And, and, and I loved that iPod. Uh, iPod, sorry. Because it was better than my MP3 player. So every time we would hang out, what I would do is I would put away my little MP3 player and I would listen to music on her iPod. Why do I keep saying iPod? It's an iPod, the small little thing. <laughs> I'm African. Can I use that as, as an excuse? All right, moving on. So this little iPod had tons of music, some country music because she's Texan. So, you know, you got to put your country music in there. But then... Somehow, I ended up listening to some sermons. I don't know how I got to the sermons, but I remember hearing the gospel like I had never heard it before. I remember some men preaching the gospel, and I was so hooked to this. Now, fast forward, a year and a half later, I was on a plane coming to the United States to go to seminary. God had used my wife's little iPod to call me into ministry. 
And we have stories like this, all right? All of us have stories like this of, of things that happen to us. And at the moment they're happening to us, we have no clue that they are going to be so meaningful and helpful to us in the future. That's what we're going to see today in our text. We're going to be in Acts 12. And what we see in Acts 12 is we see some persecution. We see the church praying. We see the rescue of Peter. We see some humor and some confusion. But in all that, we see the Holy Spirit working in all those events, working together for the word of God to spread and multiply. My hope and prayer is that the Holy Spirit of God is going to move you to see that nothing that happens to us is wasted. That it can all be used by God for the spread of the gospel. So if you're with me, please open to Acts 12. And before we begin, would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for the church. Thank you for all those events that have happened for us to receive this word. The men and women who have poured over scripture for us to hear the gospel. Lord, open up our minds and our hearts. Let our hearts yield to the Holy Spirit to hear what is in this word. And as we have our eyes open to how the gospel spreads, may you help us to go out and share the gospel both in deed and in word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so you got your Bibles, you got your coffee, you got your recliner, whatever it is that you do, you sit on the floor, it's your house. You do whatever you want to do, okay? Open to Acts 1. We're going to start from from verse 1, and I read 1 to 5. About that time, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church, and he executed James with a sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter too during the festival of unleavened bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. The first thing we see in this text is God uses persecution for the spread of the gospel. God uses Christian persecution for the spread of the gospel. Right on the onset, we see there is trouble here. Two apostles, leaders in the church, they are facing persecution from a king who loves the praises of men. James ends up being killed and Peter is put in prison. This is such a contrast from chapter 11, because in chapter 11, we see the church in Antioch. The gospel is flourishing. The Holy Spirit of God is being poured into the lives of the Greek, the Greek and the Gentiles. And this is what, what, what we saw happening. We saw the birth of the first multicultural church. The church in Antioch actually sent Paul and Barnabas to go back to Jerusalem to help the church in Jerusalem because there was going to be a famine. Contrast, the church in Jerusalem, on the other hand, is easy prey for the king because they are the minority and they are not loved by the religious leaders. And why is it that they are not loved? Because they have been speaking and talking about this Jesus. This Jesus was killed in this city. Because they kept talking about Jesus, the city hated them. It's this time 
the persecution started. And this is so true about Christians all over history. It's actually said that uh, uh, Nero burnt down Rome and he blamed it on the Christians. James was part of the Jesus' inner circle with his brother John and Peter. He was there during the transfiguration. And he is taken out by a cloud-chasing, people-pleasing, self-glorifying king. This is a significant cost for the church. He was the first apostle to be killed. Now, I know we're not necessarily facing this kind of persecution in Charlotte. But there are brothers and sisters all over the world who to the, to whom to this is a reality. Yeah. Listen to this. I was reading the other day a story uh, on the TGC website about a pastor. His name is Juliana Bileye uh, from Nigeria. Him and his wife, they were killed in Nigeria. But several years ago, in the middle of yet another outbreak of persecution, he had written these words. To a friend, listen to these words. The stress of daily life has brought many closer to God. A lot of people are looking forward to heaven. Of course, nobody wants to die. But the way things are happening, you don't know when or who will be the next person. So the consolation is to go back to the Bible. It's why people pack the church trying to hear the message. It gives them hope and confidence. Listen to those words. They are filled with hope and confidence, even in the face of persecution. The Lord uses persecution and stress of daily life to invigorate the life of the church and to draw people to himself. Like I said, I know we are not facing this kind of persecution in Charlotte, but that doesn't mean the enemy is not at work. He's always at work. It definitely doesn't mean that our faith will not cost us. By the way, if you find that your faith doesn't cost you, that it doesn't make anyone uncomfortable, maybe you ought to examine yourself and make sure that you are totally sold out for Jesus. Now that we see the role of persecution in the spread of the gospel, let's Go on to the next thing that we see in this text. That the prayers of the church are essential for the spread of the gospel. If you look at verse 5, this is what it says. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Prayer is a church's weapon. And using it is not passive. The believer in this passage essentially go to war through prayer. Prayer is an act of defiance defiance to opposition. One commentator says it this way. Prayer isn't retreat. It's an act of holy defiance. It's an act of placing dependent confidence in the sovereign God who hears the prayers of his people and rules over all. Just last week, Pastor Joey challenged us to pray with holy expectation. I am being challenged by the message up to now. And what we see next is, 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 is this response by God when people pray, when the church prays. But before we see that, I have a question for you. When is, this, is the last time you prayed expecting that God will answer you? When was the last time you prayed with holy expectation that God will answer you? 
Let's pick it up at verse 6. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night Peter, bound with two chains, was slipping between two soldiers while the sentries in front of the, in front of the door guarded the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Get dressed, the angels told him, and put on your sandals. And he did. Wrap your cloak around you. And he told him, follow me. So he went out and followed. And he did not know that what the angel did was happening. But he thought he was seeing a vision. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. They went outside and passed one street, and suddenly the angel left. Herod wasn't counting on the prayers of the church. This reminds me of that song we sing all the time. This is how I fight my battles. It might look like we are surrounded, but we are surrounded by God. Brothers and sisters, this is how we fight. We get on our knees and we bury our faces at the feet of Jesus. When we get oppressed, when life gets hard, we pray. Prayer is our response in times of crisis. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4, 6-7. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of peace that Peter had in prison. He was so deep asleep that the angel of the Lord had to strike him to wake him up. He wasn't tossing back and forth, trying to figure it out, trying to plan a a prison break. No, he was asleep. He was rested in prison. I want this kind of peace. I don't know if you want this kind of peace, but I desire for you to have this kind of peace. This peace that surpasses all understanding. Pray for it and the Lord will grant it to you. I cannot help but believe it is because of the prayers of the church that Peter had this kind of peace. The fruit of the prayers was this kind of peace. Now what happens next is way more exciting than any movie I've ever seen. Peter was bound with two chains. And he was sleeping between two soldiers. But when the angel of the Lord appeared, the chains fell off the wrists. They fell off. But there's more. That's not it. There's more. When they came to the lion gate that leads to the city, it opened by itself. The gate was shut. And when they were walking and they got there, They get opened by itself. This is way better than a horror movie. Trust me. While the church was gathered praying, Peter was being rescued from prison. The iron gate opened by itself the same way the stone rolled away at the tomb of Jesus. Man. The chains fell off by themselves. 
Our Lord and Savior specializes in breaking chains. He came to set the captives free. Do you want to see your friend who has been chained and seen freed by God? Get on your knees and pray. Do you want to see your parents come into knowing Christ and be saved? Get on your knees and pray. Do you want to see your neighbor who has been addicted freed from that kind of lifestyle? Get on your knees and pray. Fervently pray. What happens to Peter is exactly what happens when we pray for our one. The Lord does the work. He changes the hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. People previously chained in sin and shame and guilt, they are freed and adopted to the family of God. God uses the prayers of the church to advance the gospel. My father-in-law tells of this story how he and his brother would always hear their mother praying for them as they came in in the middle of the night uh, from partying. And he says it is because of these prayers that he and his brother were both called into ministry. There was fruit. Let's not get weary of praying for our city, our neighbors, our families, our ones. The Lord hears our prayers and he wants to answer our prayers. Just a few weeks ago, a church member was talking to me and he said he prayed with his workmate to receive Christ. Now here's the thing. He had been praying for his friend for five years. Joy challenged us to fight for each other in prayer just last week. Colossians 4.12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He is always wrestling for you in his prayers so that you can stand mature and fully assured in everything God wills. Are you wrestling in prayer for someone to be moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus? How are you fighting? Are you fighting? The last thing we're going to observe in this text is that the spread of the gospel is dependent upon God's grace and power. It is his sovereignty. We like saying, you know, God has a sense of humor. And I just want to say that if there's a part of the Bible that you can see this, or you can use to show other people that indeed God has a sense of humor, it's this one right here. In this next part, please turn to uh, verse 11. It's, it's funny. Trust me. When, people came to him, when Peter came to him, this is verse 11. When Peter came to him, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp, and from that the Jewish people expected. As soon as he he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was called Mark, where many had assembled and were praying. He knocked at the door of the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the door, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. Rhoda hears the voice of Peter. And recognizes it was Peter, but she gets too excited. She forgets to open the door. Now, listen to the response of the church after they are told Peter is at the door. Verse 15, you are out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting that it was true, and they said, it's an angel. It's his angel. Peter, however, kept on knocking, and when they came, when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. I could almost see Rhoda 
going to the doll, hearing Peter, getting so excited, and she's like, man, I gotta go tell the people. She goes back to tell the church, and the church is like, girl, can't you see we're praying? What's this foolishness? I'm sorry. In the middle of this funny episode, we need to recognize the humanity of this church. This praying church. They had been praying for God to free Peter. And when it happens, they're like, you're out of your mind. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up and think, you know, we feel bad because we do not have enough faith as the early church. This is evidence that they were human just as we are. Here's a church that is praying and still finding it hard to believe that God actually performs miracles. They would rather believe it's an angel than Peter being freed from prison. Now, this story is not about how Peter escaped prison on his own. This story is about how God rescued Peter from prison. If you're a Christian, you know your salvation is not about what you did. It's about what Christ did. Because you and I were dead in our trespasses, and he saved us by grace. Look with me, please, at verse 17. Motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them... How the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell these things to James and the brothers, he said. And he left and went to another place. If the Lord has freed you, there's no other fitting response than to tell the story of your salvation. If you're not a Christian, please come close. I want you to hear this. If over time you have been trying to rescue yourself. Maybe you, you, you think, if I stop doing this, if I stop this habit, if I work on myself, I clean myself up, I clean my act, I will go to God and present my works, and then he will accept me and he will love me. Listen to me. I want you to know God loves you. Yeah. He loves you. He wants to rescue you from the bondage of sin. What is sin? Sin is missing the mark. It is a, a, a failure to live up to God's standards. Now, we are all born sinful. Only Jesus Christ has met God's standards. And through him, anyone and anyone can be reconciled to God. You do not have to work for your salvation. Peter did not work for his rescue. He was sound asleep. Please turn with me to verse 18. At daylight, there was a great commotion among the soldiers. So, as to what had happened because of Peter. After Herod had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him after winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom. They asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. On an appointed day, dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to them. The assembled people began to shout, it's the voice of a God and not of a man. At once, the angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. Out of the need to control the situation, Herod killed the gods and then he ran away seemingly Ashamed, he wore his royal robe and he gave this mighty speech that people responded, It's a God. 
and he did not stop them. Instead of ascribing to God the praises of men, he accepted the title of God because he thought he was a God. He is not the first king to think he is a God, though. We remember Pharaoh and how he was humbled and killed in the Red Sea. We remember Nebuchadnezzar and how God made him eat grass like a beast of the field for seven years. This is what God says in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or any or my praise to idols. I think I have to read that again. Isaiah 52, 8. I am the Lord, this is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. We might be quick to think, well, I'm not like Herod. I don't think that way. But allow me to ask you this question. Who calls the shots in your life? When you look at your accomplishments, who gets the praises? The enemy whispers to us that we are gods, that we can make the rules, that we decide what is right and wrong. One commentator says it this way, self-exaltation fills the hearts of all kinds of people, not just leaders. In our fallen nature, we want to be God and we certainly don't want God to tell us what to do. But this text serves as a warning. We must humble ourselves before God. We must not try to be God. Herod learned this lesson the hard way. He was struck down. So, Recap, James is killed, Peter is arrested, the church prays fervently, Peter is rescued, and Herod is struck down. All these events scream the sovereign power of God. The sovereign power of God is over all kinds of systems, from the secular systems, King Herod, to the sacred system, the church in Jerusalem. Now listen to what happens next at the end of this chapter. I love this. 24. But the word of God spread and multiplied. You see, the death of James did not surprise God. Jesus had told James that he would be persecuted for the faith. And we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I'm sure James heard, well done, good and faithful servant. The arrest of Peter, which was supposed to slow down the spread of the gospel, was turned into a miraculous prison break and a catalyst for the spread of the gospel. The prayers of an oppressed church were answered in great, mighty ways. The prideful king was humbled. He was struck down and eaten by worms. And the gospel spread and multiplied. That's not all. Unlike Herod, unlike any system... Our king, Jesus, is triumphant. His body was not eaten by worms. He did not stay in the grave. He rose on the third day, and he is now seated on the throne. He has all power and all authority. No one can stop the mission of God. The word will continue to spread and multiply until he comes back. Glory, hallelujah, he is triumphant. I see three ways we can apply this message as a church. One, expect 
and be willing to face persecution for the gospel. For us to see a gospel awakening in the city and the ends of the world, we have to be willing to be stretched. And sometimes we're not going to like it. We have to want Jesus with all his blessings, which includes suffering for the gospel. And I want to be very specific here. Not suffering for suffering's sake, but suffering because we love Jesus and we love people and we are motivated by love, not the thrills of persecution. Some of us will commit to move into the Northeast campus and be part of the work that is about to begin in that part of the city. Some of us will be moved by the Lord to adopt or even foster. Some of us will be given to give to missions and missionaries. Some of us might actually be called to go to hard places for the sake of the gospel. Students, you might be called a weirdo because of the love you have for Jesus. But let me tell you this. It is worth it a million times over. Number two. Second thing I think this text tells us is we need to... Pray fervently for the spread of the gospel. One commentator says it this way. Prayer is not a signal of last resort, but of faith in the sovereignty of God. It would be easy to picture the church terrified by the death of James and in the imminent demise of Peter, cowering in some unknown location in the city for fear of arrest. As a church in a vibrant city with all kinds of attractions that are fighting for the souls of men, we have to come to Jesus and continue interceding for the city that the Lord will draw people close to himself. Y'all, I've been watching pastors give soul work, and I am excited to give you soul work right now. I've been like, I need need to give someone some soul work. So this week's soul work is I want you to write down the name of your one, and I want to challenge you to commit to fervently pray for them for 15 minutes every day for the next one week and see what God does with that. I believe there is something that God will do with the entire church praying for their ones for 15 minutes every single day. Nothing else, just praying for them. And of course, pray for other things over and above the 15 minutes. The last application point that I see here is we have to depend on God's grace and power. No matter what the event may be, God has planned and executed it perfectly. God does not make mistakes. There are no errors in the unfolding of his purposes for us. Nor has he abdicated his authority and control. So we must trust him. Look at your life. Every single thing that has happened to you, both the painful and the sweet, they have all led to this moment right now. The sovereign hand of God has always been with you. God controls events all over the universe. He holds the stars in place. He sustains all of us. Let's depend on him even when things don't make sense. Depend on the sovereignty of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. As we go out, help us to pray fervently for our ones. Help us to cry and come to your feet and plead and intercede for this city because your word asks us to. Help us to embrace suffering and persecution for the gospel. Lord, help our hearts to yield to your spirit. Help us to be more like your son. 
we are dependent on you, Lord. We see how great you are, how awesome you are. You've willed everything into existence. We exist here today because of you. You give us breath. Even these words that I speak, someone is understanding them because you make that happen. So, Lord, please be with us. Be with the church. We're dependent on you. We're waiting for you. We are expectant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.